Welcome back to another episode of the Into the Wiaras podcast. This is episode 50. Wow, 50 episodes. I wonder how many of you listening have listened since the beginning. That is wild. Anyway, I am your host, Sarah Pendergrass, and today's episode is a conversation with Evan Howard of Terra Rosa Gear. I realize I've launched semi in. in easy for me to say. I realize I've launched semi inadvertently, albeit no doubt in part because of my interest in the intersection of creativity and adventure with a bit of a meet the makers theme to kick off season two. We started with the conversation with Patrick Farnsworth, the creator of the Bikes or Death podcast and the Texas Showdown backpacking series. And then the last conversation I shared was with Rihanna Knight of Amble. Check those out if you haven't already. This one today, however, is a conversation with Evan, who is another guest who I've never met in person, but definitely hope to share an adventure with one day for sure. Before I introduce Evan further, I would like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land on which I'm recording, the land of the Gubby Gubby people. I recognize their continued connection to the land and waters of this beautiful place, and I acknowledge they never exceeded sovereignty. All right, so I will try and keep this quick today. A huge thanks as ever to the Patreon supporters for helping me keep the lights on. I appreciate you enormously. If anyone would like to join the community, any donation would be incredibly welcome. You can check it out at patreon.com forward slash into the hours podcast. Thank you also to anyone who has liked, followed, subscribed, or shared the podcast. It means a lot seeing that you're enjoying these conversations and helping extend the voice of these awesome guests that I'm chatting to. So let's dive into this episode with Evan. Evan was recording from his home on Wurundjeri Country, and we did have a bunch of technical issues with this one, so you'll no doubt hear me reference this at certain points. Hopefully my basic editing skills have covered most of it, as this is a conversation well worth tuning into. Evan is clearly a super accomplished person in the outdoors, and we barely scrape the surface. Amongst many things, we talk about the evolution of Evan's business, Terra Rosa Gear, where he very thoughtfully creates lightweight adventure gear, along with his super interesting role as an Arcteryx design ambassador, working on their Rebird upcycling program, which brings new life to all products and keeps them ultimately out of landfill. Evan also shares a little of his own experience when it comes to his changing view of risk tolerance over the years, especially now as a relatively new parent to his young daughter, Gwendolyn. Evan is a climber, skier, mountaineer, bikepacker, and nerd out so much more. And I also take this opportunity to chat to him about packrafting and bikecrafting, as it's not something we've covered on the podcast previously, and something I know lots of you are curious about. Look. I'm going to let Evan do the talking now. I thoroughly enjoyed this conversation, and I'm sure, like me, you'll find Evan's warmth and generally beautiful, down-to-earth nature super engaging. Let me know what you think. I can't wait for you to listen, and I'll be back with another very inspiring guest in just three weeks' time. All right, Evan Howard, welcome to the Into the Wee Hours podcast. Thank you for having me. I'm very excited to be here. 
I've literally just found out that it's Evan's birthday, so happy birthday. <laughs> I can't believe you're here. Thank you for joining us all on your oh, birthday. Thank you very much. Yeah, yeah. No, it's, I turned um, 37 today. Yeah. But I actually, I was born in Canada, though. So t- it's still the 22nd in Canada. So I actually get to celebrate my birthday over like a 42-hour, 48-hour, 72-hour period. It's it's so funny you say that. Like I was born in the UK, and my mum will be like, "It's not your birthday yet." <laughs> <laughs> like, okay, well, it is where I am right now. So there we go. You get an extended birthday. That's it. Yeah. Where are you recording from tonight? Yeah, tonight I'm recording from. It's my. Uh, I call it just the upstairs, um, and it's a little room above the garage in the place that I live here in Melbourne, uh, and I have two sewing machines usually and i just brought a third up yesterday uh which i haven't actually put back together so uh it's kind of the main head of the sewing machine is sitting just to the left my left of the video recording right here um it's a (laughs) did i see you putting some skis or something out of the way yeah the skis uh live up here in the (laughs) off season which it is you know so yeah there's the uh there's a salomon qst 98s Put some good moves on them last uh, winter, um, and then my main touring set of skis is just over there, the the Castleys, which are super lightweight and can go up and down really nicely. They're uh, yeah, splendid skis, those ones. Nice. I look forward to hearing more about that. That's for sure. We're going to jump in without any introduction. You've already heard about skis and about Evan's sewing machines, so we'll definitely get onto that. But we're just going to jump straight into quickfire to warm up. Now that our connection is here, and hopefully we're going to stay connected during the podcast. So, first question, Evan. Pineapple on pizza. Hell's yes or hell's no? No, no, not at all. I would go to war for that. So, it's so funny. I used to record this podcast with my friend Kristen. I'm a yes, she's a no. And we always had people saying yes. And since it started being me on my own, I keep getting people who are a no. So, there you go. Yeah, golly, geez, there's... Uh, You're right there. Yeah. Can't have it. Sorry. I got it. I love it. Very definitive. All right, next one. Fingers for toes or toes for fingers? Uh, it would be... I rec- Oh, man. Let's go fingers for toes. I feel like climbing and skiing and balancing and all of those athletic abilities would be changed, but um, I think I would adapt. I think my toes for fingers would just be too nubbly, and I, I definitely wouldn't be able to sew. Um, <laughs> True. <laughs> Love it. Great. Well thought out. All right, next one, more related to adventure. Where is the most memorable memorable place you have ever camped out? Wow, golly. Uh, top of my head, I'm I'm lucky because I think there's there's at least three or four that come to mind, um, but probably the most iconic for me would be um, there. There's a couple spots on the Terrarosa Glacier facing west, um, looking into the valleys of the Stave River and um, into that direction. And the it's it's sundown is an amazing time across the glaciers and across the mountains. Um, and yeah, and got a tent. Do you have a particular? Yeah, sorry to interrupt. But do you have a particular season in mind when you're picturing? Well, that's it? summer, uh, certainly. Summer. Um, winter is is pretty spectacular up there, but I've only ever been once. It's that hard to get to. It's that remote. 
uh, and it's that unforgiving that it's it's a difficult place. Uh, so that that's a summertime uh, camp that I'm thinking of there. Uh, and in wintertime, if we had to go through the seasons, um, geez, the top of Bogong here in Victoria. Um, yeah, uh, it's uh, indigenous name is Warkwulu, um, if I'm pronouncing it correctly. Beautiful, like the the colors of the sky and the land in the Australian Alps when when the sun is going down or coming up. Um, it's a magical time. So yeah, I love just being up there in the in the snow, dug in, and usually after a good day of skiing downhill and then up walking up, then got a hot chocolate or something, trying to keep awake for the colors. Nice. We'll definitely have to come back to those adventures. That sounds beautiful. All right. Next one. Can you name or think of your most used, and you can define this however you like, your most used piece of outdoor gear? My most used piece of outdoor gear could be like just one of my simple Nalgene water bottles or something like that, right? Like, you know, you're looking yeah, back, totally. looking back across <laughs> photos from like 15 years ago, and you're like, "Holy smokes! There's the water bottle. It's sitting right beside me. It's beside me in that photograph. How about that? Well, I haven't smashed it yet. It's so true. <laughs> yeah, right. I was looking at the stickers on one of my Nalgene's and was like, "Wow, these are grotty." But I'm like, "Hang on, this has been around for a long time." <laughs> yeah, time for another sticker over top of that sticker. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's how it works. All right, um, let's go to best piece of advice you've ever been given. Oh my goodness. Um, uh, best piece, oh man, I have no idea. There's been so many good pieces of advices, advices, advice that I've been given. Um, I, I'm just, I'm not sure. Um, I, I, a single piece, I don't think I could narrow it down. I think it's a culmination of all of the things and the sum, the sum of the parts is, you know, greater than, than all of the, uh, all of the single parts. So yeah, I'm not sure. Let me think. I'll come back to you later on. Of course. All right. This is another one that requires a bit of thinking. So let's see how we go. A genie shows up. (laughs) Okay. A genie shows up and grants you three wishes. You can't bring anyone back from the dead. You can't make anyone fall in love with you. And you can't ask for more wishes. What are your three wishes? Oof. Let's go. Um, my wish would be to stop the current climate situation. Then the second wish would maybe be for um if it's personal then uh, let's go with like unlimited finances i think that would then bring whatever whatever else you need um uh, third wish uh maybe that my friends could come on trips whenever we had whenever we wanted to go i love that wish yes indeed perfect availability whenever you can all right yeah you passed the quick fire. Thank you for sticking in awesome. there and recording your own commentary while I clearly checked out of the conversation. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So we typically at this stage jump into an origin story, 
But before we get there, just to get a snapshot, you've obviously described like the physical location where you are right now. But what does like a day in the life of Evan typically, if there is a typically, look like? Yeah, certainly not a typical day at all. Um, really, I mean, th- maybe maybe a typical day is just that they're all kind of atypical. Um, yep. But I've got a twenty-month-old daughter, um, so she kind of dictates a lot of. Uh, what's happening and where where we're at, um, which is just the best thing ever. It's so much fun. Uh, and then I split my time between my workshop here at home, uh, my workshop uh, in Fairfield that I share with my um, fiance Mariana, um, who runs the art school, who, which is the main part of the building. And then I'm tucked into a little um, little creative cave that we've put up with two by fours and plywood. Um, in one of the other rooms and that's oh, that's awesome, awesome. Uh, with the idea being that as Gwen uh, my daughter Gwen gets older uh, she can kind of like come and hang out there and we can all just be you know a family doing the art and doing the uh, the sewing and everything which I very much consider an art form as well uh, so yeah typical day just kind of be getting up and um, if uh, if me and Gwen are hanging out in the morning we'll go get a baby Chino and uh and I'll uh, make a coffee or something like that and we'll go for a walk. And it's really lovely, Australia, right? Where, especially in Melbourne summer, if it's raining and pouring, your life is not in jeopardy. So you just put on a <laughs> rain jacket and go out and have a good time. Uh, Gwen loves the umbrella. Um, she loves splashing in the puddles. And that's good because I also love splashing in the puddles um, and the umbrella. <laughs> um, and then, yeah, on some days um, I'll end up at the workshop. Uh, Mariana might be there teaching classes or she might be working from home. Um, and uh, I also do some hours for uh, a parachute manufacturer here in Melbourne. Uh, so I, split, I do a couple days a week there uh, just doing contract sewing. So if they've got work, go and help out. If not, um, just kind of stick around and do uh uh, do whatever I've got on because there's always prototyping and development and testing and just fun sewing. Um, like my latest personal project is uh, trousers uh, for my wedding because uh, Mary and I will get married at the end of February. Um, oh, congrats. So I'm, I'm actually going to make the pants. So it's a big call. They're not made yet. So now, yeah, now I've put it out there. I just realized what I've done now. Are they parachute pants? What, what's going on here? <laughs> They're not. They will be denim. They will be denim. Um, I really appreciate a nice um, a nice denim uh, when it's done lovely and organically and uh, it's a really neat material to wear as as clothes and even though clothes aren't my personal preference of what to make and design or anything I thought this was a um, such a special occasion that I'd, I'd branch out and try something new fantastic absolutely fantastic which now that I'm saying it again sounds that's this is a wedding so there's gonna yeah oh boy all eyes are going to be on your pants. <laughs> uh, maybe I should do a prototype. <laughs> That's so cool. I can't wait to see what you come up with. And I guess, I mean, you've touched there, you know, several times in terms of the sewing and the creating and adventure. You're obviously not from Australia originally. Do you want to tell us a little bit about how you came to be here? And yeah, like, you know, what your relationship has been with adventure growing up? Yeah, well, I, I was born in um, in Canada, in British Columbia, about halfway up the province in uh, the Caribou Chilcotin, kind of the flatland country between the coast mountains and the Rocky Mountains. And 
Oh, I say flatland. It's just it's it's flatter than what's around in the Rockies and the coast, but it's still hilly and mountainous and snowy and awesome. Uh, so adventure was kind of just you know part of growing up. You didn't even know, you didn't call it adventure. It was just you know you're going to your friend's place down the road, and it just happened to be minus thirty or something. Um, so yeah, and then I I ended up in Australia. It was a different life that I was living at that point. And, um, came over here and was playing soccer and then was in Europe playing soccer and then decided that Australia was going to be um, a, a great place to, to set up longer term uh, and came back here and um, kind of started adventuring a little bit more in depth by that point uh, and this would be 2006 2007 sort of thing and uh, picked up a sewing machine um, about 2008 and kind of just started modifying and playing with gear uh, a lot more in depth and kind of looking at how something was coming together um, but like my skills then were very rudimentary uh, the sewing machine that I had was a 201k singer which was a fluke because I knew nothing about what I was buying to start off and I just happened to get what is arguably the greatest sewing machine ever built um, for domestic use uh, and if I had got something that was a piece of junk maybe I wouldn't have continued building gear in the direction and in the path that I went so that's that was a, a stroke of luck there um, and yeah just kind of incorporated the brand that Terrorosa gear um, in about 2010 and that was just so I could claim um, tax stuff right like all the flights and R&D and um, you know, if I went somewhere and did something with Terrorosa, then it was a tax write-off and I could uh, make things more affordable that way. Because, um, yeah, I was, that was early 20s for myself, I suppose, uh, early mid-20s. And, yeah, just kind of wandered around doing adventure and that sort of stuff. It was, yeah, it was fun. So for people who don't know Terrorosa, and actually I have, I have a prop at this point, which I'm glad I didn't use to start with because I would have been sweating when, um, <laughs> can you see? <laughs> I can. Yeah. The, the uh, bug movie. Yeah. I was tempted to sleeping cover. Yeah. I was tempted to start recording in it, but I am in Queensland and I was like, it's just, <laughs> <laughs> it's not going to help the sound issues either. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, just keep the bugs out though. But hey, I hate the bugs, so I love that. <laughs> yeah, indeed. But for people who aren't aware of Terrorosa, can you just introduce a little bit about what Terrorosa is? Sure. Um, yeah, that, I'm sure there's a good answer to that, and I would probably be the person that should have that answer. But uh, Terrorosa Gear is uh, a company that I started back in 2010, officially, and I build with the help of some very talented sewers uh, who I contract to. Um, shout out James and Abby uh, and Mia. Oh, Abby well. ma- Abby's uh, name's on this uh, bug, bug baby that I have. Abby would have put that one together, yeah. Yeah, there you go. Um, so, this, so Abby yeah, runs Schuster Threads as well, um, who's, uh, yeah, she's got a great technical outdoor, uh, outdoor wear company. It's really cool. Some of her designs that she's coming up with now are, are fantastic. But um, yeah, so I just have uh, about 10 or 11 different sewing machines. And the focus is like outdoor, lightweight, adventure gear um, that kind of isn't so much pigeonholed in a certain genre, uh, except for the, you know, the bike bags. You know, bike bag is a bike bag. Can't really wear that one that well as a backpack. Um, 
but the sleeping covers are popular with the bike packers they're popular with the hikers they're popular with the mountaineers um so yeah it's kind of fingering all these awesome pies of adventure that um yeah I, i find really really inspiring and people can come to me and ask for certain things to be changed or modified to suit a body type or a different type of adventure or um you know a different material added for whatever their preference is and um and i try to accommodate when when and where i can on on that sort of thing and so when you came across that singer sewing machine and does singer come from scotland originally is that i'm trying to think is or is that just they're something built that I think? there they're built they're, there yeah yes okay. singer singer the man was an american okay um, i thought there's a scottish the type, main but... factories yeah <laughs> <laughs> the, um, uh, it was the K on any of the sewing machines that Singer makes. Yeah, the K stands for Kill Bowie. Oh, I did not know and that's that. Where the, that's where one of the main factories were. Ah, there we go. Yeah. So when you purchased this sewing machine, first of all, how did you find it? Was this like in a, yeah, where did you find it? This would have, it, I, so I was in Sydney at the time. Um, it's uh yeah, I was up Sydney, and it would have been before Facebook sort of stuff, right? So the, I'm I'm gonna say Gumtree, yeah, but okay. it could possibly have been eBay before, you know, like oh, it was yeah. that. It wasn't Marketplace. It wasn't a newspaper. I know that. Um, yeah, yeah. I think it was. It was it, from my memory a deceased estate, um, garage sale sort of thing, and I, I went and probably paid a hundred bucks, which would be a good price then, good price now um for okay. it and i wouldn't have known anything about it and i would like i hardly knew how to sew other than what i had done at school but in terms of like how the machine actually worked and functioned that all came much later <laughs> so like what where was the confidence in terms of buying that machine and setting up terra rosa did you initially start off thinking you were going to make your own stuff or was it always like there was a commercial element to that creativity as well no no commercial element really um that like entrepreneurial sort of thing that's always almost been dirty words for me right like boss and you know work <laughs> uh <laughs> capitalism yeah less less than ideal um i love tinkering i love creating i love making and the sewing machine at that time was was just going to be another tool um i had no idea that i would like fall in love with the machine and with what the machines can create um, and that happened very, very quickly. I just, these, they're phenomenal, phenomenal machines, these, the sewing machine. Um, and they have such a influence on everything, um, for so long as well. Um, like, you know, mid 1800s is when the machine, as we understand it will kind of come into formation now, but you know, everything that we wear is stitched still. You know, there's some lamination, there's some, you know, heat treats and um, that sort of stuff. But everything else, stitch, like all my shirts, the shorts, the upholstery on the seat I'm on, uh, the carpet mm. here is stitched. Like, yeah, it's everywhere. There's millions of stitches around you all the time at any given moment. Uh, and these machines are, are just fascinating. Yeah, that's such a beautiful way to think of it, especially as we head into, dare I say, AI territory and everything else that's happening. It's really nice to have that physical connection with those things that have been created in that way. Um, and then yes, certainly. you mentioned you'd sewed in school, but was, was it a trial and error process? Like, how did you 
teach yourself because you're now obviously in a place of creating a whole range of products or however you would term it, determine them um, for lots of people. So how did you actually learn the craft? Yeah, so I, I was taught in school. Uh, so it was uh, Mrs. Thompson from memory. Uh, that gave me the understanding of what is the machine doing? How is it creating the stitch? What is a bobbin? What is a needle? What is thread tension? Um, it's just when I was 14, I just didn't like it. I hated it. I didn't want to be there. It was boring. It wasn't exciting. I wanted to be outside and playing soccer and all that. Uh, but then in the, my early 20s, as I recognize it for a tool uh, as, as it is, then the nuances and everything that come with the different sewing machines really started to to come in and um i taught myself is kind of a cocky way to say it because i a trial and error to me is not really teaching yourself i uh, you're learning but you're not teaching so i just kind of just won it and did lots of reading um i made a couple of phone calls that i can remember to ask people uh, in the industries like i called it funnily enough you know I was calling a parachute builder in, up in Queensland asking how did they create this type of seam. I can't seem to figure it out. And um, yeah, I just very quickly had an answer. Uh, and then from there, I could take off on that direction to investigate because there's all sorts of different things. Right? It, it's, uh, it's incredible once you start getting into it, the different seams, uh, the different patterns, the different materials, the different yeah. combinations like of everything that you can put together. It's, it's nearly endless. Um, and that's as new materials now are being developed and, you know, like some of these lightweight stuff that we're all familiar with, like the DCFs and the Challenge Ultras and some of these laminates and all that. It's They're fascinating to see how they respond to a machine that, for example, my Singer is 70 years old now. And then I've got a couple other machines that are easily from the 50s. Um, and then the rest of mine are all from the 80s. But like this tech doesn't necessarily need to be new to deal with the new technology uh, and the new fabrics that's coming out. It's, yeah, it's, it's fascinating sort of stuff. Yeah, well, that is a really interesting way to think of it. And if, if you haven't, like if you don't already follow Evan, Evan, you quite often post pictures from your workshop and all of these machines that are like industrial looking, old, sturdy looking, is that fair to say, machines that are sitting there. It's really... It's very cool. Very much, yeah. They're all they're all characters in themselves, and when you get to know them, really, like to me, they they almost have personalities. Um, I don't want to. I, I wouldn't want to personify a machine or uh, or anything, but um, you know, like I have their their affectionate name for each one to differentiate <laughs> okay. it from the other. Because like I have two jukies as well. So like, how do you differentiate? Well, one's the big jukie, one's the small jukie. Uh, I got two Toyota machines. One's the big Toyota, one's the small Toyota. And that's about the power that they have and how they create their stitch. So, uh, and yeah, they, they are, they're really, they're, they're character machines. And because they're all built to do one thing, their character revolves around that sort of thing, really. Uh, so I hope to capture that for Instagram um, sometimes because Instagram, uh, you know, do what you will with social media, think what you will. Um, it does drive the business for me. Um, so I have to look at it like that and having the, all these characters to have, uh, you know, some sort of, if you follow it enough and closely enough, maybe there's almost some sort of narrative around it. Like what's the Toyota doing? What's Juki doing? <laughs> you know, I... are they fighting? I don't know. 
It is. It's funny though because I've been looking. I mean, I was looking through your feed before we recorded, and I was like, oh, I'd love to illustrate them. Like you can feel the personality in them. It's really cool. There's some Certainly. kind of children's book yeah. in there. Like. <laughs> Anyway. Yeah, you know, they get sick. You have to go in and fix them. And sometimes they're really sick and you don't know if you're going to be able to fix them. And it's like, oh boy, do I have to go to the sewing machine hospital with this thing? And then, then it gets fixed. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. There's a whole other podcast in this. Um, and in terms of like... How have you decided what to create? I know it's a big question, but like, how have you landed? Is it through personal interest? Are you taking this gear out yourself into the mountains and testing it? Is it customer requests? Like, how does that work for you as a business? Uh, definitely in the early days, it was um, all the things that I wanted to build. Uh, and that still has a pretty big shot to it now. But with the... Um, with the growing uh, uh, following, uh, that with more customers and stuff like that, then I have more requests for for things that I would not have considered uh, myself because of my what my expertise and where my skill sets might lie is not going to be where that customers might lie. So they'll have an idea, and I'll be happy to incorporate it uh, with the discussion of like I have no idea how that might work for you, but if if you're certain that yeah. you're going to be happy with that, um, then let's do it. Um, super fun, uh, yeah. I'll never, uh, I'll never forget. It was I was again. I was in, up in Sydney, um, Gadigal country, and we were um, uh, heading out one time. And I realized that I had made everything except my clothing, really, and shoes, and you know that sort of thing. But it was like backpack, sleeping bag, shelter, um, all the bits and bobs in the pack, holding everything else. So all of those big items, except for like obviously the food, the stove. I didn't make the stove and. Um, the sleeping mat hadn't made the sleeping mat. Um, I might have forgotten it on that trip as well, so I was kind of kind of stoked, going, "Yeah, well, everything else that I'm using is is pretty much made by me." And, or maybe I forgot the stove, so it was just cooking on a fire on that time. But uh, yeah, that was up the Blueies, and it was yeah, it was a, it was a uh, neat moment. I was on the train, you know, from Central up into um, Blackheath. Uh, yeah, yeah. Sure a lot of the listeners have probably done that trip, and it's yeah, so I'll grab the early early Saturday morning train and off you go. Um, yeah, good yes. fun. Uh, so yeah, that that's really what directs the, the, the creative really. And I guess what sometimes maybe it's worth noting as well, some of these new materials coming out, um, mm -hmm. working with them is really fascinating and seeing how they will be used and like, do we need to sew this? Can we just tape it? Um, should we sew and then tape it? Uh, are we looking to make the sewing waterproof? Like is it losing strength by sewing it because it's a lemon you know all these sort of fun things that get to have a look at and, and see it's like if you put too many stitches per centimeter is it losing strength or is it gaining it because it's inserting more thread like oh yeah all sorts of uh fun fun bits and bobs so it's yeah i mean it sounds like a super interesting process and i imagine obviously you are innovating to some extent within the space but i imagine you're looking at what else is happening across the world and what people are doing with those fabrics as well. Is that fair to say? Very fair to say. Uh, I, I, I would love to think that I'm innovating and all of that, but uh, being a smaller side in terms of the big people 
innovations like uh, you know like the Arcterixes, the Patagonias, the North Faces, you know, um, love them for what they are, hate them for some of what they are. It up to you, whatever. But you know, the, these people and these companies with the funds to to really push those boundaries uh, and try new things um, that are not limited by the financials is really really cool. So um, I mean, I talk to all sorts of makers from all over the world. That's really for me the beauty of the social media and Instagram and, and the Facebook is these like kind of just continuing conversations with other makers questions uh like comments like how beautiful and how amazing something that they've created looks um and yeah when it comes back to me as well it, it's, it's really cool it's a it's a it's a really nifty worldwide community in, in various countries from japan korea australia new zealand you know just keep going canada usa mexico Chile, Argentina, you know, all across. It's, yeah, you know, the darkest spot would maybe be, uh, well, at the moment, like I haven't heard much from the, the couple of the Russians that I used to speak to. Um, but I, as far as I know, they're, they're still kicking along. Yeah, okay. Um, for, yeah, obvious, obvious sad reasons. And, mm. um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's really cool. Um, but yeah, so I'd, I'd like to think that in some of the ways of, of innovation uh, and that I'm innovating, but um, I, I certainly can't sit here and say I'm pushing that pushing the boundaries or pushing the limits on things yeah I, I mean I guess it came to mind in the sense of you I don't know if you would you perceive yourself as like cottage industry type is that where you sit I don't know is that a fair description I think so I think that's pretty fair um you know I have a couple of workshops spread out um I'm not long I'm no longer building in the cottage or the uh the garage uh, mm. in a sense but I'm certainly still a one-man show that contracts out I don't have 15 full-time employees all cutting sleeping quilts or anything like that and big factories pumping stuff out <laughs> big factories yeah yeah um but as i suppose like when i was talking about innovation i was thinking of you're talking about maybe you get like a a quirky bike packer who's like hey i've had this idea can you create this for me and you're creating something new in that sense that like you say you're serving that person in their idea or assisting them with their idea Oh, certainly. Yeah, very much so. That and that's I love that. That's that's, cool. that's yeah. best doing up some custom work with specy materials or something like that. Um, and if that's how you define innovation, um, then uh, then then perfect. Uh, I I actually haven't really looked up the actual definition. No, for me it's like my stuff's not going to space or anything like that. Um, not yet. I haven't been contacted by uh, SpaceX. Now I've covered the satellites up at the CSIRO um, with some for some big tarp things so that's pretty cool so you, uh that that kept the comms coming in through covid <laughs> wow there you go and i also saw that you sent um i'd call them bothy bags is that yeah i think you yeah. call them bothy bags about that you've sent them to the um australian antarctic base yeah. there is that that's correct the ones. yeah the yeah. antarctic division yeah antarctic yeah division. so i do every it seems like every couple of years or so um they'll get in touch and there's some there they are they're rad folks the uh, antarctic division they're a cool crew um so yeah i did up uh, just just a couple of weeks ago got the next lot down and i think they said they're heading to macquarie island um with those ones and maybe they'll head on down to the continent with the rest of them but yeah it's that's pretty pretty nifty that's pretty cool yeah it's always yeah it's and exciting I get... I th i'm pretty certain now that I, my kit's been on all the continents um in, including antarctica so uh yeah that's that's pretty rad so um, space is the next natural move i think by the signs of it evan that's it yeah the moon yeah the mars moon. <laughs> yeah 
I love it. Okay. And so while we were chatting there, you did mention, and we've mentioned capitalism, but you also mentioned the bigger brands like Arcteryx. Would you like to chat a little bit about the relationship that you have with them in particular? Yeah, certainly. Um, so Arcteryx uh, Australia approached me a couple, coming up on a couple years ago now, uh, to run and uh, develop the Rebird program uh, in Australia, which is just upcycling um, their gear when it's end of life. Uh, and I've jumped on it. Uh, I, I appreciate a lot of what Arcteryx is, what it does, what it stands for. Um, nobody's perfect. Uh, that's completely understandable. But um, I think Arcteryx is is great, and they're from uh, North Vancouver there, so it's kind of you. Know, we're kind of neighbors for a little while. Was uh, when I was living in the Lower Mainland before coming to Australia, um, and I thought, yeah, what a what a great opportunity to um, to see what see what they've got uh, and what they're looking to do. And it's I feel like the journey is with that as well is only really just beginning. Um, so we'll see where where that can go over the next year, two, three years. Um, it's you know how it is. We're just fresh out of a pandemic, uh, so it's hard to plan much more than a few years in advance without thinking about what might uh, <laughs> kind of go in a different direction. But uh, yeah, the future looks really rad with the, with some of that stuff. And um, on that sort of idea with you know upcycling end of life and using recycled materials and recycling materials into new materials to use uh is is uh a, a pretty cool thing i'm trying to use as much like eco um materials so i use the eco poly uh in my tents uh my tarps uh and the sleeping bags uh and the sleeping quilts so that's from um uh rip stop by the roll over in uh, over in the states there They've done a pretty cool thing with uh, with some of that stuff. Uh, the challenge sailcloth, the ultras and stuff um, are pushing in a pretty good direction. The eco packs, awesome. Uh, so like, there's some pretty good choices out there, and I think that there are, you know, people's mindsets in. Uh, I think people's mindsets in a, as a whole are really starting to shift and change uh, towards these sort of materials, and like, nobody cares if I offer to put on a recycled zipper you know if the zipper still has a lot of life in it there's no question just like yeah do it um it's it's really neat whereas you know five ten years ago i would be very wary of going can i throw on a zipper that i nicked off a jacket that was pretty good <laughs> like yeah uh, so yeah uh, it's interesting it's to see how all these things are changing and uh, and that and yeah the arcteryx uh, rebird is really um is really driving a lot of those ideas and it's giving uh, what it's doing for me as well is kind of giving me um, a foundation to play on uh, and the ability to really get creative with with these things that are coming in and my upcycling has been at the core of it very basic which is great i'm trying to keep things super simple uh, so say a, say a jacket or a pair of pants uh, snow pants come in well what you have there is an item that is 3d it's built to go around a body but all mm -hmm. of those panels, when they're broken down, are back into 2D. They're back into flat. And when they're flat panels, now I can really use them to create something 3D again, whether it be, you know, a hat, a bag, um, you know, depending on how much you have, another jacket or, you know, something along this. Or maybe only the sleeve is a take that sleeve out, use that pattern, put a new sleeve of something else back on. You know, there's, the options are really, really endless. And it just comes down to what? you might be thinking creatively creatively at the time and i certainly see the trends that i go through um and however my 
crazy brain works it's like all of a sudden wow hats are awesome and they'll do a whole bunch of hats and then i won't do another hat for you know four or five months and it's like on to something else and then whoa back to hats again i love hats these are great i found little patterns so yeah it's fun like that and if you can narrow it down and get things um kind of taken along on what the people want and what they want to see then um yeah it works really well so yeah that's that's kind of how my uh relationship with arcteryx is is working and I know they've got big plans for for Australia, and um, I think that um, you know they're because it's quite a small little outpost of a big company here in little mm-hmm. Australia. But um, I think they're doing amazing things with uh, with the incredible gear that they do have. Yeah, really interesting. And you talk about you know you went through a hats phase or the different projects. One that I did see that I know that people listening will love. We have a lot of trail dog or dog fans that listen, and I did notice that you developed. Barkteryx, which was pretty fun. Yes. <laughs> yeah, that was um, uh, that was the April Fools' uh, little thing with uh, with Arcteryx for the last April Fools, and uh, we were like, "Yeah, let's do some let's do some Barkteryx, uh, some dog gear," and that was that was uh, that was their creative, so we went with it, and yeah, and then I've got a rescue greyhound Goldie, um, and so I just made her a jacket uh, out of a bunch of. <laughs> down and synthetic and it looked awesome i think it was really really cool and we auctioned auctioned that off for uh gumtree grays uh here in uh, here in melbourne which um, is how we procured gyor leaf uh when she was rescued from the the race industry um so yeah yeah and then bark it's a it's a thing so until i get the cease and desist letter i'll uh (laughs) happy to keep going Right, because you even stitched the logo with the B and everything. There was like some real brand takeover by the dogs there. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I, I may I didn't. See, maybe I saw that. Maybe I didn't. I don't know. It depends. Sorry, it depends <laughs> who's listening to this podcast right now. Apologies. It was it was Goldie. I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I saw her do it. It was yeah. my dog. Yeah, that's all, that's all part of the uh, fairy tale with the machines talking to each other. Is the the dogs that's stitching right. away yeah. at night on the uh, bacteria. <laughs> That's it. Yeah, there's some strange noises coming from the upstairs here. The machines turn on by themselves. Goldie's just sleeping. Yeah, I love it. And so, just to be clear, do you like what are you receiving? Is it garments that are no, like are damaged, or what does that, or is it? Yeah, what does that look like when you receive that from yeah. Arcteryx? So from Arcteryx, yeah, I will get their uh, their end of life, uh, whether it be a warranty or something along those sort of lines. So it's not, when when the jacket is no longer going to safely function as a jacket. Um, it might be deemed end of life and then it'll come to me and then I'll have a look and go like, yeah, sweet. Let's put it, you know, that sleeve is fine or the whole, it's pretty much fine, but the zipper's broken. Let's put a new zipper on it. Or it's like, this thing's pretty haggard. Let's, uh, let's make some hats and wallets or something from it. And that's a, a really, I really like that idea when, when you can't save something, let's remake it. So all of a sudden this jacket, which has had all these adventures and everything, um, is now, hats and wallets to be to have more adventures and that jacket is not going to landfill and you know when you roll up a jacket stuff it in its hood to carry it around you know they're as big as a you know a soccer ball almost you know size so you know how many jackets do you go through in a lifetime if those are all ending up in the landfill over a lifetime of of one person from the adventure industry golly that's you know that's a bit of bit of a space take up you know there's some serious volume occurring and that's just in your shell jackets so if we can just kind of divert as much of that away from the landfill and uh and that is possible then i think um you know you're doing you're doing something 
it's not it's not a lot but it's not nothing and i think um i have to look at it like that that i'm doing as much as i can within my means and i think that that's one of them that's uh, that's pretty cool no i think that's really cool and i i mean i understand it's there it's easy to hold yourself or hold others to a very high standards but like everything does make a difference and this is a very cool idea of just like you say upcycling things that have come to the end of their life and I love that idea of that patchwork of bringing different garments together and yeah creating a new life for them as well so I think it's a very cool project you're involved in I've also yeah it's a lot of fun yeah it looks very fun and I've also noticed that well one I've noticed a few people that I are kind of close to starting to experiment with making their own gear, mainly in bikepacking, but also you run your own workshops as well. Yeah, I have also noticed that. And I think um, COVID was a big um, uh, catalyst for that is everyone sitting around dreaming. Um, it's like, what can we do to kill our time? You know, like down here in Melbourne, we were we were locked down pretty severely for uh, quite a length of time there. Yeah. So yeah, I think a lot of people actually picked up the uh, you know the creative bug to try and kill time and keep the brain going. And I mean, I know I know I certainly did as well. I'm like designing. I was not the sleeping bag, um, the, what I call the sin bag. Um, I've got some bike bags. There's a backpack that I haven't quite um, put out much. Um, a, like man i just i had tons of stuff drawing all the time just trying to get through these times um and then um mariana got pregnant as well so that was the other lockdown project i suppose through there uh and now gwenny uh gwenny's come along after after that um so yeah it's um running these workshops has been kind of just the next step along i i have some skills and i'm happy to try and pass those along in in whatever respect that these people um would be you know capable of taking them on so i've actually grabbed that sewing machine that i picked up way back when the 201 again greatest machine ever made uh, so i've grabbed a bunch of those because they're go on marketplace facebook you'll find them for between 50 and 200 bucks depending on what condition they're in and whatever um i know how to service them and i know pretty much how to check the electronics that you're not just going to blow it up and uh, have the motor just die on you or anything uh, and these are great machines to learn on um, as as I did and yeah we'll get the people in and they can get inspired and have a look at some of the gear and see how things are put together can kind of take them apart and, mm-hmm. uh, so we're right in the middle of a four class session one a week for for a month and the first one we did an apron out of bits and pieces of old jackets and the an old sail I've got a big old sail um, that's pretty cool and then you know, that's a 2D item with some pockets, get creative, see where you want to put different things that you might be using, your snips, lighter, all these things. Uh, then next week we'll do some tote bags and um, probably some dot bags. So now we're into some 3D items, you know, taking a 2D piece and turning it into 3D, getting zippers on, you know, zippers seem to be this little magical thing on how do you install it. It's actually super simple. It's, you know, it can yeah. be as little as one stitch depending on how you do it. But, you know, two standard two stitch will make it last for a long time and um yeah it's just having a, a a nice place to do that uh and having a, a creative outlet so there's no fear of the you know failure or anything like that you break a needle oh well that you know big we all break needles so uh, if it knocks the machine out of time no worries we'll just put it back into time um and yeah all of these sort of things to just get the get the creative ideas going and 
I think it's such a beautiful thing in life to have that because it influences so many other aspects of your life and you can really look at things so much differently and with so much more appreciation and love for different mm. things when you might just be passing them on the street or you know, sitting on a interestingly upholstered bus or something like that. <laughs> I love the choice there. I do think there's, I mean, I love making things and I do think there's so much satisfaction in creating your own stuff. When it comes to adventure though, um, obviously our gear can also be our safety and our survival. Have you ever found yourself in a position where you've taken, like you're testing gear, but you've really tested it? to the max or are you I, I know that you have like a mountaineering background do you feel like when it comes to like what's your relationship with risk and that side of things as well that's like six questions in one yeah certainly um well I mean that's yeah and that's all changes um as a you go through life um I haven't I have tested a lot of my things to the limits um of what I'm comfortable with or where I go okay this isn't going to work like that um, a lot of the in the early days was all this stuff with Tyvek because um, there's different types of Tyvek like the stuff that you wrap your house in that's home wrap it's a hard structure it's different to the sleeping covers that I make which is a soft structure um, breathability is is different uh, the sounds are different um, so yeah I was really interested on like how long can I actually sleep in this until either it gets too much condensation when the dew point is sitting at this level and yeah it was it you know there's all sorts of laboratory you know tests and stuff out there and, and those are great and i think they're great starting points and then now take these take that data if you can interpret it which is another question and then go and and see what kind of data you can grab from real world scenarios and then just have a look see where things are meshing and where they're not and then you'll probably from there and with experience be able to know what where the safety point might start to be and again that's going to be different for so many people uh like of course it's sleeping bag temperature rating like and there's so many variables that might go into something like that um and then in terms of uh risk tolerance and stuff it's certainly in in days gone it was probably a little bit well it was definitely a lot higher um than what it is now um i've certainly uh since gwendolyn's come along had some some discussions internally with myself uh on where and how i, I stand on different uh different ideas so i'm still pretty comfortable with you know rope work and descending abseiling and and those sort of things um but I'm, I'm not sure if i could just go and just go straight alpinism at the moment with um you know the avalanche and rockfall and all of the objective hazards that you just have zero control over and you know if you're crossing you know some bulls and they've got some hang fire and you're just like that's gonna be 45 minutes or something of just traversing underneath something that could go at any moment that's no longer in my my game plan because um, yeah Gwendolyn uh, is just such a little sweetheart and um, I just that that risk for me is no longer worth it and I don't feel like uh, it changes me as a person which I hear as an argument sometimes in uh, the adventure dad circle um, so each their own for sure and I'm very interested in the conversations and I love hearing these ones that are that are all out there now but uh, yeah for me it's certainly 
certainly a time to to step away from that side of it and uh, appreciate what I've done uh, and the accomplishments that I know I've uh, achieved there and and then look to uh, kind of guide this new little adventure lady into uh, into new sorts of things and see what she finds passionate and what she really enjoys to doing. I uh, love that. And that's that's a that's a whole adventure in itself, which is just the greatest. Indeed. I'm just picturing you both with a little umbrella <laughs> out adventuring. Yeah, yeah. Um, and yeah. I mean, it does sound like, you know, you've obviously been very accomplished in terms of mountaineering as well climbing. I noticed you had a search and rescue sticker on your workshop bench. Have you been involved in search and rescue as well previously? Yeah. Yeah. So I'm part of the um, Bush Search and Rescue Squad, which is the volunteer squad here in, in Melbourne. I was part of it up in, uh, in Sydney as well. Um, so yeah, we get we get our callouts whenever there's um, you know incidents uh, that require people to go out overnight. So we're I think our main difference from memory to say like the uh, the SES, which is a, a great great organization, is that we can go out overnight and we're still covered for our insurance. Whereas to my memory and understanding, uh, and I hope I'm right. If I'm wrong, I'm apologize to all the SES fellows, fellas out there. But um, sorry, mosquito flying through me here um you need the, is, you need the yeah, baby no. net yeah i need the bug net yeah where <laughs> mine will be right here i'm right i'm this is my gear wall just to my right hand side here here's my sleeping bag uh, Love here's it. the rope um perfect anyway sorry i lost my uh, train of thought there but um yeah so i think the ses get pulled out um of the field after a day so they don't go out for longer than 24 hours and that, but yeah, that's that's what differentiates us. So we'll go out, um, lost, missing, missing people, um, searches, and yeah, that sort of that sort of thing. So I've got got my first aid, and um, mm. which I think is a pretty vital skill to have when you're going backcountry. Anyway, that's uh, like yeah. a necessity. <laughs> I feel like for, you know. Yeah, one, I feel like one of the, sorry to interrupt you, I mean, one of the best things that I have done, and I actually found it, it was fun as well, was that five-day wilderness first aid course, like mm-hmm. a residential wilderness first aid. Like it is, I feel like anyone who is going away from urban areas, or even if you're not, it is just so important to have those skills. And the night scenario we did was one of the most fun things that I've done in ages, and I never expected to be loving that but it was very very cool learning experience that's for sure oh that sounds amazing yeah Mm. yeah we did ours um in a similar idea to yours uh it sounds like except ours was for um uh snow and backcountry so all of our it was all avalanche scenarios and recovery and then um you know dealing with those sort of injuries and then extraction as well as like communications with um uh, you know helicopters and uh, that sort of thing. Yeah, man, it was yeah. just, yeah, it sounds like uh, I, I sound about as stoked as you are on yours. So yeah, suit. that's awesome. That's cool to do the alpine side of things. Yeah, ours was the scenario was that we were like hiked into the bush and we heard people screaming. It was two teams and um, a four wheel drive, which in the scenario had like two drunk people in it, had run over like 10 mountain bikers. And just having to manage the situation, they were in ditches, they were spread everywhere, they were trapped under the car. And the two guys who were in the car in real life are military. And they were amazing at acting this whole thing out. Like it was like it was they were so uncooperative, like they were just brilliant. It was so good. That's uh, 
That sounds entertaining. Yeah, wow, what a what a triage situation. Eh? It was full on. Yeah, I was I was like leading like managing the scenario, like contacting emergency services and stuff. And it's just like, whoa, you forget that wow. you're in, that it's not real, right? When all that stuff was yeah, going on, it right. was really cool. Oh, super cool. Yeah. <laughs> so, yes. yeah, ours was survive first aid here in Melbourne um, with um, Adam and Dave. And those guys, those guys are legends, man. Like, yeah, you can just learn so much. And it's yeah. such vital skills. Like, you know. Yeah, if you're going out with someone, first question, now it's still like, all right, first aid, and then if it's snow, avalanche, yeah, okay, yeah, cool, all right, well, we'll be doing a little bit more extreme or a little less extreme. Yeah, you know, and that's the thing. You know, finding my risk tolerance and hitting the edge of that and then dialing it back a bit. Totally, totally. So there you go, recommendation for everyone. Do some kind of wilderness first aid, it is so worth it. Um, the other adventure type that I did want to speak to you about, Evan, because... I took my pack raft out at the weekend. I forgot that my paddle is a four piece paddle. I was missing a piece of my paddle. I basically paddled it like a canoe. Awesome. Nothing like I... Jay stroking a, a rubber Sorry. boat. Oh my God, in the wind. I was doing donuts. It was just. <laughs> <laughs> so I do not have pack raft experience. I bought this very expensive piece of equipment. I'm, ash- I'm ashamed to say it's the one thing that I'm like, I'm determined this year to get out and go on some adventures in it. But so many people asked me about bike. I, I was bike rafting. I put my bike on it. I know oh, that awesome. that's something you have experience with. Do you want to talk a little bit about that and then? And the appeal of it yeah oh i i yeah bike rafting is is just fantastic and yeah those um the pack rafts are just a spectacular piece of adventure equipment um i got the one that i still have it's actually just down below me because uh, i had it inflated i was down on Birong, um the yarra river there and uh it's just chocolate milk right um but yeah i got mine back in about 2014 uh, and I still use the same one. It's still in great nick. Uh, I've cared for it because it's a vital piece of gear. Uh, inspected. I may have a slight leak at the valve, but Ryan up at Packraft Australia there will sort us out when I get up to his place in the next little while here. And yeah, just throwing the bike onto it was a step that it took me a while. Uh, so I got it in, say, 2014. No, 2012. Yeah, I got it in 2012. And then it took me probably till 2015 or 16, I think, before I did my first bike rafting. Um, and yeah, I was kind of just getting skills up before that. And then um, saw somebody on Instagram and it was like, of course, that's, this is amazing. Let's do that. Yeah. Um, and Melbourne is just spoiled for gravel riding uh, around. And there is some really fun rivers. Our rivers are certainly not like a Canadian river or, uh, you know, even the, some of the rivers up in the territory and all that, but they, they're beautiful and they're spectacular. And there's, there's kind of a magic to them by having to pick when you go, right? It's like, mm. all right, rains, rains happened. Let's go. You know, the gauge is mm. saying it's up. Let's go check it out. I, I like that. Um, and I think the bike being such a magical adventure tool and then this raft combining these two things is just like it's just a pinnacle of adventure really it seems like i think it opens up so much terrain and so many areas because i i originally picked the the boat up to basically float out of the mountains in canada so i could just at the end of a you know say two-week mountaineering trip or something 
instead of having to budget six more days to get down and out of the glacier and then out of the alpine and uh, subalpine and then into the forest and stuff, it's like, oh, fuck it, we'll just take the river, you know, and hopefully yes. not go over any wild waterfalls or whatever. But you just float <laughs> out. You can float out in a day or two instead of walking out for six, right? So like all yeah. of that, that was, that was awesome. So my, my boat is not, what I've noticed with pack rafting is I'm sure, which, which boat did you grab, Sarah? I have, I actually looked it up because I started drawing it last night. I have an alpaca raft and it's the caribou. Yeah, the and caribou, it's awesome. Like yeah. perfect bikepacking raft. And that's, and I, and like I those... did my mind specifically for bike rafting. That was the idea. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, because the front bow is like these things are all designed for these amazing adventures. Now, mine's just kind of an old boat that they did really well, and it's kind of a jack of all trades. But it got a crappy old seat in it, no knee um, uh, uh, knee straps, no spray deck. Like it's just yeah. got a rope at the front, a rope at the back, and you know, somewhere for a bottle of whiskey, I think. And it's like that's oh, maybe oh, a life vest as well. They, I mean, I guess, first of all, I should say for people who haven't seen a pack raft, it is essentially an inflatable dinghy boat. And the the beauty of them, in my eyes anyway, is the fact that they do package up so easily. I literally roll mine up, I stick, like I strap it directly onto my handlebars of my bike and off I go. And it is so simple in that sense. Do, do you inflate yeah, yours manually? Or do you do you have like an auto inflator thing? I've got a billow bag. Yeah, is that is, would, yes. is that considered manual? I consider yes. that manual. I've got it's it's pretty sweaty in Queensland to be to be blowing it up right yeah, now. Yeah, I, so. oh, I can imagine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That humidity yes. that'll get you. Oh yeah. my! Right. So yeah, so yeah, I inflated um, mine only to realize I was missing part of the paddle, and I was like, I don't care. The bike is strapped on it; it's inflated. <laughs> I'm going. <laughs> Gotta go. What's the worst could happen, right? What's the worst? Yeah. I think the first thing that really struck me about the pack rafts and how amazing they were is that it was so robust that my skills would fail before the boat would. And I loved that because when I, you know, when you first blow something up and then get into a river with like some class three rapids, you're like, man, oh man, you know, there's a lot of things that could go wrong here and I can see it all happening. Um, but luckily, yeah, the boat, the boat will keep going until I give up, which is, which is, you just got to know your limit, right? (laughs) You do need to know your limit. And I, like, I have not explored on white water yet. And I also don't have much white water experience. So I'm very conscious of that. I'm also slightly anxious about having my expensive bike at the bottom of a river. If I don't tie it on properly. (laughs) Does titanium float? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it's lighter than air right find out. <laughs> but yeah it's such a cool way to adventure and i have um i feel like it's so fancy it's got like the zip on it as well so you can actually like stash stuff oh, of course inside right. it as well yeah. like put all that they're, they're so clever i'm very like i'm, I'm yeah it's really has a trip i think it's probably on the cards. oh must do highly recommend have you done a tazzy trip with the raft yeah, I've got a few a few raft yeah. trips done there. Yeah, the southwest, it's unbeatable. I haven't been up north like the Pyman and um, uh, the Arthur Rivers and all that, and um, Takiana and the Tarkine and all that. Mm. But southwest, the yeah, Denison, awesome mm. river, um, the Jane River, amazing. Uh, Gordon, 
Franklin. You, mm, you just can't go wrong. Yeah, just, it's so incredible. It's yeah. such a beautiful, beautiful spot. So much um, to what, Have you got anything good lined up? Not yet. I'm, I'm actually just working out at the moment what my year looks like in many ways. So cool. stay tuned. It might involve my van and a bunch of gear and working remotely, I'm hoping. So, yeah, that's the plan. All right. Well, there's a place in Victoria that does some sewing. So come down for the raft. I would love to, for sure. Do you take your bike out on your raft when you're on the river and do like a loop or are you paddling up and down? Yeah, um, I do a loop from my house. That was my COVID lockdown um, okay. routine in Melbourne. I'm, I I'm not, can't remember how badly you guys um, had it up there, but when we had our 10K travel radius bubble, um, when you put that in from my house, I got this section of uh, the beer rung included. So on my bike, and we also had only three hours to do it in. Yeah. Okay. So in three hours, I worked out that I could go out the front door with the bike ready, down the path, put in on the river, paddle along the river, um, maybe smoke a little something on the river. Who knows? You know, just enjoy that. You're kind of actually out and about. And then... Uh, pop back home and you could be home within three hours. Um, heaven forbid you weren't. Yeah. But uh, yeah, so I worked worked out that, and that was so that's the that was the loop. And I actually did it for the first time just the other day again um, after COVID. I didn't I didn't have the um, uh, what do you call it the emotional capacity to go and do it recently yeah. until uh, till just just now. I was like oh, I'm gonna go do it again and just remember some of those feels. <laughs> wow. Yeah, you guys had it way rougher in Melbourne than we did up in Queensland, that's for sure. But that's a pretty creative way to still at least get a little bit of fresh air and adventure when you are confined like that. That's very cool. Very yeah, cool yeah, we, it was it was good. I was very fortunate in, in the unfortunate situation that we all found ourselves in at that time that, yeah, I had Plenty River and, and Beerung, uh, the Yarra River down that way. Very nice. I'm conscious we've kind of jumped all over the place. I do want to ask you, I'm conscious of time and it's your birthday, but I do want to ask, do you have any dad <laughs> ventures in mind coming up with Gwen and your partner? Yeah. So we, when Gwen, when we, when Gwen first arrived back uh, nearly two years ago, um, we had her out for overnight uh, after about like three and a half months. Um, we had a first night out and we we're like, oh, this is so awesome. This is it's, And it was, it, it really was. And we we're like, oh, this will be, yeah, maybe do this once a week or something. And, oh man, just wasn't going to work for us. Cause as soon as she got mobile um, and like, you know, first time father and Mariana, it's a uh, first time mother. And yeah, like, you know, you kind of, you hear all these things like, oh, they're so easy right now you know, and all of this and all of that. And, um, so yeah, we'll, uh, this summer we're definitely going to, going to kick back up and we like every time it rains, we just throw on the rain jacket and, and go out. So those, you know, those micro adventures that, that they really appreciate. And, um, you know, there's some fun podcasts out there like, um, Hamish, uh, Hamish Blake's, uh, how other dads dad. So I listened to that in the workshop here and there. And I remember one of his guests, uh, I can't remember who, uh, was talking about hiking with kids and stuff. He's like, kids don't give a crap about views. And I was like, that makes sense. So yeah, they're out there to have a good time. It's like, well, that's what I'm out there for. But part of the views. So it's like just trying to imagine, right? Like, what is she thinking? What is she gaining from this experience? And, you know, you're out there 
maybe walking to go get a babuccino and a coffee or whatever and then she wants to spend half an hour in the splashing in the puddles and it, you're like i i now want to spend half an hour in the puddle there's nothing like this is great yeah. this is all right so just switching switching the mindset to to her world and getting her involved with that so um actually right here should be a pretty fun little adventure thing for her there it is there so oh, PFD, it? it's, yeah it's <laughs> gwenny's little pfd so it's the little one for up to 25 kilograms so she's not quite there yet a tiny um, so little yeah, life we'll jacket That's so yeah cool. i'm oh. i'm excited to introduce her to uh to all of this sort of stuff and and see what she picks up she's climbing on everything now i've got a little climbing wall ready for her and if she likes that sort of stuff then then great and you know she loves um you know you can see some of the maternal instincts in her already with her teddies and she just loves cuddling them and putting them to sleep and stuff and uh, and then and then at the same time she'll go and like try to do a backflip off a bunch of rocks <laughs> into the dirt you're like oh this is awesome like she sounds like a, a little inspiration <laughs> yeah very cool kid that's so yeah. exciting and just to see things through that different lens as well hey like you say it's just like go and splash in the puddles we should all be doing that yeah I love it. <laughs> certainly yeah for half an hour or more at least <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, yeah, collecting that's, every a, that's an endurance that. effort <laughs> yeah well. it is oh man gosh yeah didn't think you'd ever get tired out splashing in puddles it happens <laughs> Well, I think that probably leads us to one of my last questions. And actually, when I was thinking about this, this relates to Brendan Leonard. Do you know Semi Rad on Instagram? I think he has Arcteryx connections. He's like an illustrator, writer. Yeah, I'm, I follow Brendan. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We've, we've not met or anything. He's um, yeah, seems like a cool guy and great sense of humor. Yeah, I, I, it really appeals to me. And uh, every year he releases this essay. I don't know if you've seen it. It's, it's all about his philosophy of practicing maximum enthusiasm. And I noticed this year he releases the essay. He's released it every year since 2012. And all he does is change the year. And there's a music reference in there. But it's essentially about appreciating the little things, like whether it's a burrito or something big, and just practicing maximum enthusiasm around it. And one of the things I noticed today is he's written, enthusiasm doesn't have to stand up to criticism. It doesn't even really have to make sense. So with that in mind, do you want to share one thing that you are practicing maximum enthusiasm around right now? I'm practicing maximum enthusiasm. (laughs) Uh, I don't know, maybe around much of the current political situation in which we find ourselves i'm trying to be enthusiastic and i'm trying to find the good in the decisions being made and i'm trying to influence the good in the decisions being made as much as i can with the resources that i have um and then also with the understanding that everything is being presented to me right now as it happens and there is a million different opinions and a million different ideas and incredible joy and incredible tragedy all coming at you. So I'm just trying to practice my maximum enthusiasm for the situations in which we find ourselves that can't really change. 
that makes sense it, it totally makes sense yeah i see a real theme with you in terms of like right. putting, putting that lens on things as well um with that in mind finishing on like i guess recognizing that there are things out with our control there are also things we can influence but this practice of gratitude is something we can always come back to and it has become like a cliche thing in many ways but actually just simply recognizing like seeing Gwen splashing in puddles is something you can be grateful for is there anything you want to share that you feel grateful for in this moment um yeah I feel grateful for for my family really um I think, uh, yeah, getting getting very personal, which I, I'm very happy to do. But uh, when Gwenny came around, I kind of started to suffer a little mentally, which I wasn't expecting. It was kind of like that postnatal um, depression on the paternal side, which is definitely a thing. And my um, my partner Mariana, who um, is just amazing, recognized that sort of thing that something just wasn't quite right. And then once she recognized it, then I was able to recognize it, and it was amazing how easily, as soon as we kind of got some help for that sort of thing, that it was all of a sudden easier and dissipating. And now it's so much in control that it I don't even think it, I, I don't view it as a problem now. Now it's just something that it was just another part of the adventure of dad life and dadhood and becoming a father and these massive changes after coming out of the, probably the biggest change in the world that we'll see in, in terms of the, the pandemic and the effects that, that all had. Yeah, so that's been, been a roller coaster of a ride. But uh, yeah, I just have so much gratitude to um, to Mariana and to, to Gwendolyn for the, like, the endless inspiration that, that I can gain from them. It's like everything that, uh, that I do now is just kind of for them and for the family. And, you know, that's why you're so happy to analyze risk in a different way mm. so happy to appreciate a rainy day because you can go out with a beautiful rain jacket on and, and have a good time so yeah it's uh that that's certainly yeah just so so uh, so much gratitude for for my friends and family beautiful and gosh there was so much more we could have dived into there but thank you so much for sharing that i really appreciate it and i really hope to meet you yeah, sometime and come down and visit you in the workshop and pester you to have a go at making something that would be Please. fantastic <laughs> Oh man, we'll fire up all the machines. Yes, we can get story time going, Evan. <laughs> That's it. Well, right now as well, the um, tablet that I'm doing this on is literally balanced on the Toyota, oh, uh, the small Toyota. Um, so I'll turn it on here. There we go. Can you hear that? I can't hear it. No, it must be. Oh, maybe it might be uh, the noise cancelling might be taking it out because yes. it's a nice hum of just the, uh, the clutch motor when it, now it's winding down. But beautiful motor. I love it. I love it. Wow. <laughs> Thank you so much for your time. I really, really appreciate it. Oh, Sarah, this has been been great. Yeah, I love love a chat, and um, thanks for uh, thanks for having us on. And you know, like I said, I I seek inspiration in all places as much as I can, and this podcast and what you're doing with it and the, the plans that you've uh, put forward for it sound so cool and just gaining a lot from that. So I'm so pleased to be a guest and uh, I'll go through uh, more of the back catalog, although I've done most of them, I think now. So um, yeah, thank you. And uh, it's, it's just been great. 
That's very kind. Thank you so much. From the outback in the desert sky To the mountains and rivers flying by It's the people there that catch our eye So come listen to our stories